BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller? I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Joe McCormick. And Jonathan... No, I don't want to fly. <laughs> you, I'm perfectly happy here on the ground. Well, you're one of the few. Uh, we should also mention before we jump into this podcast, our beloved co-host, Lauren, is uh, under the weather today, so she will not be here. Yeah, but we, we will hope she's feeling better soon. Yes, we will carry on and, uh, and, and do her proud. So we're going to talk today about this idea of... Uh, Everything from, well, really, it's about defying gravity and not in the, you know, Idina Menzel wicked kind of way. 
or maybe in the Idina Win- Menzel Wicked kind of way. That's obviously the musical Wicked. She has this big song, Defying Gravity. Okay, I'm not cool enough to get that reference. Okay, well, that, that's okay. The people out there who do. But if you reference Huey Lewis, I'm I'm right there with you. Gotcha. Well, we're doing it all for... Never mind. We're talking now about... Uh, Everything from hoverboards to to flying cities to to anything in between, really. And and our inspiration here largely comes from the world of science fiction. Yeah. So, Jonathan, what's your favorite sci-fi hover thing? Uh, you know, I I mean, it, it's cliche to say the Back to the Future hoverboard, but it's the Back to the Future hoverboard. I remember when I it was one of those things where when you saw it for the first time. In Back to the Future 2. Yeah, it, that's in 2, not yeah, 1. It was in the second one, yes. Uh, it really, well, for, they, you know, of course, they're mirroring a scene that happened in the first film. Right. He, he goes up to a kid who has a, a wooden scooter and he rips the top of the scooter off and turns it into a skateboard and skates around while running from bullies. Right. And then, of course, the bullies get their comeuppance via manure truck. Yeah. And then in uh, Back to the Future 2, it's kind of a, a mirror of that scene, only this time, the set in the future. Yeah, it's 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 in 2015, so really not that far in the future. Uh, <laughs> today, anyway, we'll have them by next year. You but know? yeah, 2015. So the, by then, uh, and it's I think made by Mattel, if I'm not mistaken. It actually has like the logo of the the like company the, on the there. Barbie branding. Yeah, uh, but it's a a uh, a floating a hoverboard. It has no wheels. It hovers above the ground. Anyone who's seen this movie knows immediately what I'm talking about here. And uh, even at the time when the movie was released, I don't know if you ever saw any of the interviews or anything that came out around the same time as this. I mean, that was a long time ago for you. Not so long for me. Um, <laughs> the uh, But they actually kind of played up this idea that the hoverboards were real, that these things had really been made. And the only reason they weren't everywhere on, in, in stores is because parent teacher groups were up in arms saying that it would be too unsafe and kids could not use them. And so there was this kind of a, a interesting rumor that was being perpetuated. And keep in mind, this is really before you know, the Internet could allow these rumors to spread like wildfire. But there was a pretty widely had, held belief that, in fact, those hoverboards were not special effects. They weren't being, you know, supported by rigs of any kind. They were really real, but they totally weren't really real. You know, I feel like even if I had heard that as a kid, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think I would have thought that sounds not true. <laughs> I mean, look at this thing. It, it's this little flat piece of plastic. How could it? float like that but it turns out a lot of people still want to go for this idea because i believe it was just last week when a video went viral yeah on the internet tony uh, hawk was in it wasn't he yeah tony a bunch of celebrities yeah. there there were some professional athletes and uh yeah and some i think christopher lloyd was in it from oh Back yeah to the yeah Future. yeah um and it had a hoverboard. It was HUVR, hover, it, like promoting this as if it were a technology that's coming out this year. Get right. your hoverboard. And, and they were filming people using it and talking about how cool it was. And all these people on the Internet were like, whoa, it's finally real. Uh, yeah, sad fact here. Uh, yeah. Not not real still. There there are some good breakdowns on YouTube. I hate to to spoil the fun, but if you go look them up, just look up, you know, hoverboard hoax. Yeah. Videos and you can see where people have slowed down frames in particular parts of the video where you can see the shadow of the crane that's holding these people up moving behind. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a giveaway right there. Obviously it's one of those things where if you are a filmmaker or making a video or whatever, uh, it's very easy to, to overlook something like that, that you need to have a control over or to hope that perhaps, uh, whatever, however you edit the video that you hide those well enough that no one really spoils the fun too early, depending upon your point of view, whether it's spoiling fun <laughs> or, or just perpetuating a hoax. But, um, well, then again, figuring it out might have been part of the fun they planned. Yeah. And these days, you know, it's people have lots of, of abilities to really comb over things thoroughly when they go up online. And so it's, it's harder and harder to get a hoax to pass uh, you know, a truly skeptical eye. It's not impossible, but it is, it's challenging. So what's your favorite implementation of this flying, hovering stuff? Well, I would probably go with the video game Bioshock Infinite. Oh, in there's which... only a few things that fly in that. <laughs> like everything. Well, everything flies. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of these things seem to be some kind of aircraft or whatever. But the city itself, the city where the game takes place, is a floating city. Called Columbia. Called Columbia. It's a it's a dystopia, you know, full of evil and, and mayhem. Oh, it's utopia when it starts. <laughs> yeah, it seems so nice until <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah, um, until you go into the wrong part of town. <laughs> until everyone in charge of it is totally evil. Well, they they were evil to start with. It's just everyone was going along with it until yeah, you yeah. came along. Uh, okay, so yeah, you get on this floating city, and and well. If you know the game, you know the game. But if you don't, what happens is there are these like glowing discs on the bottoms of the city platforms you can see. And they basically explain, oh, these the city is held in the air by quantum levitation, which right. is controlled by a Lutes field named after a scientist in the game. Yep. Uh, and basically this goes along with the standard sci-fi convention of Inventing fake technologies that sound realistic because you put the word quantum in there. Yeah, it's very much like uh, in Star Trek, you can you can solve any problem by reversing the polarity. Yeah, it sounds it sounds scientific enough where the average person watching it is just going to accept that as, oh, this is what they do to fix whatever it is. And it's only when you start paying attention and you start tallying up how many times they reverse the polarity for different things that you think they don't really. That's just that's just magical speak for saying flip the switch to make it stop beeping you know yeah but uh well yeah well it's totally true i mean if i say i've got a a, a debigulator to shrink you down right. to a pocket size that sounds ridiculous but if i have a quantum debigulator it's like oh okay i get I, it no, it's quantum you know, yeah it's fine it uses yeah. the power of the atom so uh what's interesting is that in in this implementation according to some of the deeper lore within bioshock infinite uh, this quantum levitation field allows you to suspend particles in a physical location uh, in whatever orientation you want, which is going to be interesting when we talk about a real science a little bit later on. Now, this is this is not a real scientific uh, uh, application of the uh, of what we'll be talking about later. No, it's, believe it's, it or not, Bioshock Infinite failed to create real anti-gravity technology. Right. Uh, and so we've also got a couple of other uh, ones that we're going to mention, like. The Avengers, they have their helicarrier. As far as I can tell, this is just a huge quad rotor kind of thing. Yeah, which the, I, or I, I don't know how many rotors it has, right, but right. It, it's it's not like something 
crazy magical. It's just like pretend you had unlimited energy. Right. And that you were able to spin these things, these rotors with enough uh, enough speed and you had enough of them to generate the lift necessary to uh, to lift up this this aircraft carrier, which uh, I would question. Uh, the other one I would go with is uh, Lando Calrissian's home. Uh, well, Cloud or, City, Star he, Wars. I don't think it was his home. He technically won Cloud City, I think, in a gambling. <laughs> I'm uh, sure that is Cloud City is where he laid his head at night. That's he true. He didn't go somewhere okay, else. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's not not his not his point of origin, uh, but it was I, where he spent all his time. Yeah, I think it's explained just in terms of general anti-gravity magic. Yeah, I don't think it's even explained so much yeah. as it just is an interesting visual. However, we'll have something more to say about that in this episode, too. Yeah. Uh, OK, so why is it that we don't have stuff like this? What makes gravity such, in your words, in the notes here, I must quote, such a harsh mistress? Well, as it turns out, gravity is a uh, is really interesting stuff and we don't necessarily understand everything about it. In fact, you know, one of the things that we we one of the bits of information we lack is what is the actual mechanism of gravity. We have the the placeholder of gravitons, which are the particles, the hypothetical particles that that make medi- gravity work. Gravity. Yeah. But we don't you know, they're hypothetical. We haven't had any direct observation of them or been able to prove their existence in any definitive way. Uh, now, mathematically, it totally makes sense because and we have to have a placeholder there. So that's kind of why we we have this thing we call gravitons. I, I think they're in that category where they're uh, consistent with what we know, but yeah. there's no evidence for them directly. Right. So according to lots of theories, including the general relativity of um, theory that uh, a certain Einstein, way to go Einstein, came up with, uh, talks about space-time and curvature of space-time and how mass causes a warping of space-time. So if you have a mass in space-time, it causes space-time to warp around it. And the the typical uh, example people give is a much simpler one for us to understand. So Joe... You and I, let's imagine we're, we're holding a rubber sheet and we're standing far enough apart where we're holding that sheet as, as tightly, as tautly as we can. Why are we holding a rubber sheet? Because we love science, Joe. <laughs> Sounds weird. Okay, well, you know, it's going to get weirder before it gets less weird. So okay, then, okay. Then, then Lauren, who has recovered from her uh, being under the weather, comes up and rolls a tennis ball across this uh, this rubber sheet, which we're holding taut. And the rubber sheet is taut enough where the tennis ball pretty much rolls in straight line from you to me. Okay. Okay. Uh, but then Lauren decides that she's, uh, you know, wants to get a little impish, and she puts a a bowling ball in the center of this rubber sheet, which then causes the rubber sheet to deform around it. It, it dips down. the The weight of the bowling ball is pulling down too hard for the rubber sheet to remain taut. Of course, you know what else would happen is that the tennis ball would roll toward the bowling ball. Exactly. Like if you were to try and roll that tennis ball a second time, instead of it going in a straight line, it would immediately start to deviate toward the bowling ball, which has deformed that that straight plastic sheet. The same thing happens in space time with bodies of large enough mass. I mean, any mass is going to warp it a little bit, but for you to really significantly warp space time, you have to have pretty large amounts of mass. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the idea behind this whole gravity thing. It's also, can, it, we can also express it as saying that gravity, uh, is the attraction that two bodies have, two bodies of mass have, uh, and the amount, like the significance of that gravity depends upon two things. The size of the masses involved and how 
near or far apart they are from one another. Right. Okay. So uh, when we're talking about the Earth, the Earth has a pretty good hold on us. We're we're kind of stuck um, without you know using some pretty extraordinary means to get our feet off the ground for more than a couple of you know more than a second or two, depending upon how you're how you're managing to do this <laughs> trampoline or not. So. Uh, you know, we have to find ways to counteract that force of gravity, that that downward accelerating force that's constantly pulling upon us. And uh, and so it's it's tricky because to do that means that you have to expend energy or you have to find some other means of counteracting the the force of uh, this accelerating force pulling you downward. Of course, it's not like. Flying or even floating is a total mystery to us. I mean, we've come up with quite a few ways of flying. Sure. Uh, I mean, there is the balloon. Yep. The That's lighter, an old one. Lighter than air. Uh, and so that works by having a material within the balloon that is uh, of a of less density than the atmosphere around it. So it floats up. Right. It's 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 technically called lighter than air. Tends yeah. to be called that. Yeah. If you were to if you were to uh, take a a Ziploc bag. Or just a sandwich bag of whatever brand you like. And it has that little sealable edge and you fill it with air and you seal it and you put that on a pool. It's going to float on top of the pool because that air is less dense than the water around it. Yeah, of course. What makes a boat or something float on top of the water is the same principle that allows a a balloon to float in the air. Uh, It's this buoyancy issue. So if you get some gas that is uh, less dense than our atmosphere is particularly you know, our atmosphere at the, the altitudes that which we can operate without uh, encountering some significant difficulties, then you can, if you have enough of it, you can have enough lifting force to lift a, a you know, something, like whether it's a, a balloon or a blimp or whatever. Uh, hydrogen and helium tend to be used the most. Hydrogen was used quite a bit until the Hindenburg disaster. Yeah. Uh, the thing about hydrogen is it has a lot of lifting power. I mean, it's... That's the first element, right? So you've got this ability to uh, it, it's it's going to be the le- least dense. It's going to be the lightest just by definition. Um, and it has uh, a 1.1 kilogram for every cubic meter of gas lifting power. So if you have a cubic meter of of hydrogen, uh, then it can lift uh, 1.1 kilograms. Uh, yeah, but it also has 1.1 million units of fire. Uh, well, yeah, it's flammable. That's the that's the big issue. So after the Hindenburg disaster, uh, most lighter than air vehicles now rely on helium, which is not flammable. It, no. it, it is not volatile at all, but it has uh, it does. It's not as strong either as one point oh two kilograms of lifting power per cubic meter of helium. Is it uh, also still more expensive? I know at the time of the Hindenburg that hydrogen it's, was cheaper and easier to get your hands on. It's definitely expensive because and if you look at scientific papers, they talk a lot about how the uh, getting enough helium to do things like super cool your particle accelerators is getting harder and harder, particularly as people use it for things like balloons and stuff. Not that <laughs> not that if you get a not that if you get your kid, you know, a balloon for his or her birthday that you have just robbed the Large Hadron Collider of finding the next you know, hypothetical particle. But it is an issue. Uh, it's not something that's easy to get at hydrogen. We could, you know, by pouring a little energy into water, we could get hydrogen. You can't do that with helium. Uh, so 
Yeah, I would say the idea of creating something like a city, like Columbia, floating on the basis of helium or hydrogen, that doesn't seem all that feasible you to would, me. You would need so much. Because, I mean, remember, that's that's the lifting power of a cubic meter of that gas. So yeah. you would need so many cubic meters to, to be able to lift something as heavy as a city. Uh, it would be pretty ridiculous. But then um, we can look at maybe something like a heavier than air aircraft, because we do have plenty of examples of those, too. Oh, right. Yeah, I've flown in one of those things. It has wings instead of balloons. Or rotors. Rotors, yeah. yeah. That's another. Yeah, this is all about generating lift. And this is one of those things that often gets miscommunicated. Uh, one of the the way that I always heard about lift being generated, it turns out, is not entirely correct. Uh, the the thing I always heard was that let's say you've got a wing going through the air and it's angled in such a way or the the wing is molded in such a way that the air over the top of the wing has further to travel than the air going beneath the wing and the differences in pressure are what generate lift. That is a very common explanation for lift is also not technically correct. Well, I would think it would have to create upward uh, force by throwing air down. That's pretty much it. Yeah. It turns out that an object moving through a solid object, moving through a fluid uh, is going to displace that fluid, the flow of fluid. Now, when we say fluid flow, we don't necessarily mean that the fluid itself is moving. It can be perfectly stationary. If the object is moving through the fluid, that can end up interrupting the quote unquote flow of the fluid. It actually makes it move around. Yeah. Or you could have a stationary object and move the fluid past it and and have the same thing. Or you could have a combination of the two. So anyway, if your wing is designed in such a way so that it's deflecting the flow more of the flow of air downward than upward, then you're going to get a perpendicular uh, to the surface, I guess, of whatever, <laughs> like if it's a fluid container, it'd be the surface of that fluid container, you'll get a perpendicular uh, force called lift. Yeah. And, so uh, as you're going forward with great speed, you're trying to just slam tons of air down below the bottom body of the plane. Right. You have to displace enough so that it can counteract the weight. So yeah, thrust is very important. Like the, the speed is very important, uh, both for a, an airplane or jet, you know, it has to go fast enough to, to, to generate this lift in order to, uh, to fly or a helicopter, in which case you're talking about the speed of the rotors, uh, turning. But either way, you know, or if you are a Marine, you tell me that the way a helicopter flies is by beating the air into submission, which is, I guess, kind of true. Uh, so that's, that's another example of being able to defy gravity in a way, but again, not necessarily something that would work for yeah. a city. Uh, so yeah, works like something the size of an airplane. I mean, what, here's one question they ask, like, uh, why don't they make airplane bodies stronger? You know, airplanes can crash mm -hmm. and disintegrate and have all these tr uh, problems that kill people on board when, when there's a malfunction. Uh, why don't they just really reinforce them? Well, as you keep adding mass to the airplane, you're reducing its ability to fly. Yeah. You actually have to, uh, you know, again, you have to make lift that can counteract that weight. Right. And so you have to make the aircraft progressively more powerful in order to do that. And that's a real and issue. And to use more fuel. And that, that kind of brings us to the next one, which is rockets. Very similar in that, you know, in rockets, you're trying to generate thrust. You're generating thrust that is aimed toward the surface of whatever, you know, with a rocket that we're trying to send something into space, it's directing it down toward the ground. Uh, you're essentially creating something that's throwing out mass um, at a rate that is a uh, greater than 
the weight of the or the mass of the object that is that's containing the fuel and has the spacecraft on it. So, uh, you know, you could be using, uh, you know, when you think about it with a rocket trying to send a spacecraft up, yeah. you have to first account for, all right, how heavy is the spacecraft? How much fuel are we going to need in order to generate the thrust necessary for the spacecraft to go up? All right, but that fuel weighs something that actually <laughs> adds mass to this. So now we have to figure out how much fuel do we need to take care of both the spacecraft and the weight. And wait a minute, that fuel has to go in something. How much how much fuel do we now need to make the spacecraft and the fuel and the fuel's container all go up and launch into orbit? And that's why we need such a massive amount of fuel to escape Earth and and send stuff up into orbit and why it's so important or at least it why why so many people are interested in finding an alternative means of getting stuff from the ground into space right because right. it would it would dramatically cut down on cost it cuts down on risk um uh, and it you know you don't end up having to uh burn through millions of gallons of fuel each time so it's uh, or if you're talking about solid fuel million tons of fuel um it's, you know, it's it's definitely one of those things that is a driving force, no, no pun intended, uh, in the space industry. Uh, but yeah, again, if you wanted to have rockets on your city <laughs> to keep your city <laughs> afloat, you would need lots and lots of fuel, which would, of course, add to the amount of fuel you would need to keep the city afloat. It's not really yeah, well, feasible. Well, I mean, if, if you watch how most rockets go up, they have a multi-stage launch. Yeah. So they have to throw off fuel containers that they've expended. Right. I don't know how that would work in something that's supposed to be permanently floating. Like you've got fuel containers that you, maybe you've got like 10 billion fuel containers that you're constantly launching off a bunch of them. I, I guess you would have to have some sort of weird, crazy fusion reactor thing. That's just superheating gas and then shooting it straight down. Or I don't know. I mean, there's not, I can't think of any practical, like not even practical, like, like quasi plausible ways of yeah. doing it. It's, it's kind of, it, it defies my uh, imagination, but uh, there's one other one we can talk about, about, you know, making just, you know, defying gravity rather than my imagination, which is a uh, magnetic levitation. Maglev. This one, this one is actually pretty cool and might be, I mean, if we're talking about a floating, a city sized thing, none of these are particularly plausible, but this one might be the most plausible. At least, arena. at least this one would, you know, we have examples of this, uh, being used in transportation right now. And in fact, there is at least one way where you could in theory create a hoverboard that would work <laughs> under these principles, but under very specific circumstances. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, okay. So, uh, Maglev is using a combination of electromagnets and maybe sometimes permanent magnets. Yeah. Um, and the way you usually see this used is, say, on a train. Right. Why does it help to float a train above the track with magnets? Well, it reduces friction. Yeah, it, it almost completely removes it. I mean, you still get um, wind resistance. Wind resistance. Unless but you're you going to put it in, in a tunnel that's right. got all the uh, atmosphere sucked out of it. Similar like to a what Hyperloop, Hyperloop or yeah. something, yeah. yeah. Then you can really cut down on friction to almost zero, and you can go at super speeds, and just it's magic. Yeah, almost. 
Almost. Almost magic. Yeah. It's to, to, to we mere mortals, it seems as, as such. It's, um, yeah, you're essentially, if you've ever played with magnets, then you know the basics of how this works. Yeah. Because if you have two magnets and you try and put both north ends of the magnets together, they push apart from one another. Yeah. And uh, that, that's because of electric charge, right? Yeah. It's magnetic charge, but yeah, Ma- magnetic yeah, poles. Electromagnetic. Sure. So, uh, opposite signals will attract a, yes. a plus and minus. That would, if they were polarized, it would suck your train to the track. Right. So what you could do is you can have the uh, you can have the the magnetic fields aligned in such a way where they're repelling one another, and thus by repelling one another, if you have enough of a magnetic force there, you can lift an entire vehicle like a train off the the tracks. Now these tracks they all have guards on them so that the train doesn't you know fly off or anything or or, or get uh, you know caddy wumpus and then immediately there's some terrible accident they have safety guides there uh and usually what in most implementations i've seen not all but most the track has some very powerful electromagnets in it sometimes they're even created by uh, uh super cold semiconductors and the thing about a semiconductor is the colder you get it the more you cut down on resistance which means you lose less energy uh in the form of heat so, you know, when you run uh, electricity through a circuit, one of the byproducts is heat, right? And we talk about this all the time. It's the resistance of whatever material you're running electricity through. That resistance kind of represents how much energy you're going to lose in the process is right. heat. When you super cool semiconductors, you really cut down on that resistance. You make them very efficient. So imagine that you've got a track of these supercooled semiconductors, and this is just one implementation. Not all of them use supercooled semiconductors, but you've got a whole track of this. And part of this is creating the, the magnetic field that suspends the train, that actually keeps the train above the tracks. And then another signal makes a, uh, an opposite charge to the front of the train. So it starts to pull the train forward and you just run, you change that signal down the track and the train just follows it. Meanwhile, in the rear of the train, you create a signal that is the same as the back of the train. So that pushes the train forward and you've got this pull push thing. You were pulling the front and pushing the back. And that's how you can get these trains up to amazing speeds because you're really only limited uh, ultimately by wind resistance and how quickly you can change that, that, um, that charge. Also possibly whatever, you know, safety <laughs> regulations you want to put in place so you don't turn everyone into, uh, a slushy. <laughs> I would love to be a slushy. <laughs> I would love a slushy actually. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of different implementations. Uh, there are several examples in, um, uh, in Asia and Europe. Not so many in the United States. Um, it's one of those things I would love to see adopted more widely. And, of course, Hyperloop is one of the examples of something similar to this. Yeah, okay. So one of the interesting things about maglev technology is that you don't necessarily have to have some kind of huge, powerful device on the floating object itself. I mean, right. you can invest the power into the base that the object is floating above. Right, Right. So, so so the track or whatever. Right. This might enable you to have something that's reasonably sized to float. Yeah. This is where we could get into this idea of a hoverboard potentially being possible. It would be a very particular implementation. You would have to have essentially a floor that would be lined with these, these electromagnets that could generate a magnetic field. And then you could have permanent magnets on the, uh, the hoverboard. 
that are aligned so that the they will oppose whatever is on the floor. So when you turn on the electromagnets, the hoverboards spring up into the air. And then if it's strong enough, it could even hold you, although I don't know how stable it would be. Yeah, that's a problem you see with a lot of these uh, floating magnets is that they wobble, don't they? Yeah, they do. There's a lot of wobble in them. And it's also kind of a... Uh, I mean, just imagine what would happen if you accidentally put your hoverboard upside down on the floor. You would never be able to pick it up. It would just be stuck there. <laughs> You'd be like, uh, can you turn the floor off again? Or if you sat your cell phone down on the floor or. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. All your mag, all your credit cards get, uh, demagnetized or. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Whoops. That'd be bad. Uh, but I can see it. Okay. So you might not be able to use this hoverboard out on the street around the neighborhood, but I mean, I can see it being worth it to kids to drive out to the play space, you know, mom, please take me. I want to do hoverboards. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, maybe I, on your birthday, if you could figure out a way of making it very stable, then I could see it working. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm certain that you'll end up seeing uh, examples of this in various kinds of attractions, particularly at a place where, you know, they've got a lot of money where they can show this sort of stuff off. It would be kind of similar to the the hovercraft that we used to see all the time and still do in some places that use air as thrust to try and, and hover above a, uh, a surface. It, I could see that kind of happening, too. Let's talk a little bit about anti-gravity. So, you know, that's a big thing in science fiction, too. Yeah, that's uh, the basic magic that holds Cloud City up, I guess. It's some kind of anti-gravity. Yeah. Anti-gravity. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So the thing about anti-gravity is it's pretty much pseudoscience. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a thing people think that scientists are working on out there. I, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the the things where we try to simulate microgravity here on Earth because clearly, I mean, that would be really useful if we could truly simulate it because it means that we could do a lot of experiments that otherwise we would need to shoot up into space and that, like we just said, is really expensive. Well, I mean, you can simulate the experience of it, like you can fall yeah. <laughs> or you can get on a parabolic flight right and within the enclosed environment where you are you will seem to float yeah i mean you will actually be floating it'll be like a 30 second or so experience sometimes up to 90 seconds depending upon the the flight but uh an experience where you can you know you're simulating a microgravity environment because you're all in free fall essentially um and allows you to kind of uh float around as if you were on board the international space station uh then um and there's also I, mean, I didn't mention this in my notes, but there's also the 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 method we talked about for that scientists use to test certain types of of drugs and stuff that's not truly simulating microgravity. What it really does is it keeps rotating a, a specimen very slowly through all different axes so that every single part of that uh, that sub, that whatever that subject is, is under an equal uh, influence of gravity, so it's as if no gravity is affecting it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. We mentioned yeah, it briefly yeah. in a we, previous in episode. One, one of the ones about uh, mice. You know, yes. Can mice breed in anti or not in uh, microgravity? Right. So it's one of those things where uh, it's you know it it's really more negating the effect of gravity on a a particular uh, orientation of whatever it is you're testing. So that's, that doesn't really fit either. There's also gyroscopic precession. So this is what lets you stay upright on a bicycle. You might think that you have amazing balance and that you can ride 
a bike with no hands and it's because you were just in- incredible. But uh, and I'm not saying you're not incredible, but the reason why <laughs> you're able to do that is because of gyroscopic precession. It's uh, this idea that a, a spinning wheel along an axis, when you apply torque to it, it generates these kind of uh, uh, other forces along it. And one way of seeing this, I used to see this uh, displayed at a science museum that used to be here in Atlanta called Sidetrack. And uh, the the way they did it was they had a bicycle wheel suspended, like they, they had a little axle attached to it. On one side of the axle, they had a, a rope tied from the ceiling to that axle. So if you were to let go of the wheel, it would just kind of hang flat, like, uh, you know, horizontally. Mm-hmm. But if you aligned it vertically and then started spinning the bicycle wheel and then let go, the bicycle wheel would remain upright and it would start to turn around and around on uh, like the it would spin around on this rope. So the wheel wouldn't go back down flat. This is the same sort of thing that allows tops to stay upright when they're spinning. Uh, we see it all the time. There's actually some great videos out there that display this this principle and explain what's going on from a, a, a basic physics perspective. And it's pretty interesting stuff. But again, it's not really anti-gravity. It just kind of it, it seems to defy what we think of as gravity because of our, our everyday experience with it. But it's not truly anti-gravity. You're not going to be able to ride a bike so fast that you're going to lift off the ground unless you happen to have E.T. sitting in your basket in front of you. I was going to say, I hope you believe in love. I do. Of course I do. Uh, then there's uh, we covered the hoverboard hoax. The fact that, you know, you can look at the 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 frame by frame breakdowns and see where the, how they they managed to create the illusion of hovering that that's so, yeah that's uh, anti-gravity by power of trick photography right uh there's also uh liquid mountaineering now this is i a, have no idea what what that you is you have never seen this video no, what's okay. the deal so this is not exactly anti-gravity but it is kind of similar to the idea of defying certain laws of physics so liquid mountaineering there was there were these viral videos that came out a couple of years ago and it was a bunch of people who were uh, hanging out next to a body of water. I think it was like a, a lake or something. And uh, they were talking about how they were pioneers of a new sport called liquid mountaineering. And the way the sport worked is that you had to get up a really good speed, uh, running speed, and you uh, typically would run down a bank and then hit the water. And if you were hitting the water fast enough, you could run so fast as to be able to run across the surface of the water <laughs> without breaking the surface tension and falling through for at least a few steps. Okay. And the video showed them running, you know, maybe three or four feet into the water, like getting two or three good steps going and then falling through. That makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I mean, if you know about how surface tension and all that can really uh, mess you up if you hit water going really fast. Maybe on that level you're thinking it makes sense, but uh, ultimately we don't have enough surface area on our feet to be able to take advantage of any of those properties. But uh, the other people eventually proved that what was going on was that this group was using uh, uh, transparent platforms just under the surface of the water. So because it was just under the water, you couldn't even tell they were there. So people were actually running on solid platforms for, that were that extended out maybe three or four feet into the water and then dropped off to try and create this effect. I, I guess they figured that if they made it longer than that, that it would press uh, people's, uh, like it, it would challenge people's credulous nature too much. Right. <laughs> but anyway, so it's not truly anti-gravity either. It's also, yeah, uh, it's not, it kind of sort of fits in with it. I just wanted to include it because it was another viral video where 
hoaxers were, and I, I think it was ultimately, um, uh, like part of a marketing campaign for a, a, a line of running shoes. I want to say that's what it ultimately ended up being. But then what about, what does science have to say about anti-gravity? Yeah, I was going to ask this because everything we've said so far is a not really. <laughs> yeah, it turns out uh, pretty much all the claims have either turned out to, to be a hoax or if they weren't a hoax, no one has been able to replicate the results being claimed. And as we know, with mm. science, that's a bad sign, right? Yeah, especially when the claim itself is something very cool. Yeah, if it's if it's an extraordinary claim, then it definitely needs to have, uh, you know, independent corroborating evidence. Otherwise, it's just you can't really believe in it. You can't put you can't put any faith in it. So uh, that was, you know, when it comes to to science, the word anti gravity is kind of a, a, I mean, it's kind of a four letter word in science yeah. circles. Uh, but I do think we should talk about something that's sort of related to what we already discussed, which was maglev. Yeah. What's the deal with quantum locking? It is the coolest thing ever. This is a video that looks like a hoax, but isn't. Yeah, quantum locking, if you've ever seen, and there are a few different videos. There's a yeah, TED Talk. Look them up on YouTube. Yeah. This is awesome. This is, it's one of those things, the first time you see it, your brain says, okay, the, how are they pulling this trick off like this is obviously some sort of magic trick or something uh so quantum locking involves using a um superconductor super cooled superconductor so it's very much like i was talking about earlier when you cool semiconductors and you start to lower resistance a super cooled superconductor has no resistance it perfect conductor of electricity which is pretty incredible but you have to really cool it down with like liquid nitrogen you know it mm -hmm. gets super cold and then it's got like the 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 cold fog coming off. Oh of yeah, it. yeah. It's usually got a good crust of uh of some sort of ice type stuff all around the outside. It of looks it too. like something from Mister Freeze's lab. Yeah. So the superconductive material, if it were absolutely uniform in molecular nature, if it was a perfectly formed superconductor material, it would simply uh, repel all magnetic fields. It, you you mean if it had no impurities? Exactly. Yeah, if okay. if it were absolutely structurally sound from a molecular standpoint, mm -hmm. it would just it would repel all magnetic fields, and you would end up getting like the super wobbly kind of levitation. But if you in, introduce impurities very uh, methodically, you know, it's called doping. If you were to do this very very specifically, it creates these things called flex tubes, which allow you to lock in position over a magnet magnetic field along three axes, the superconductor. So if the superconductor is small and you have, say, a permanent magnet that's in a base and you put this over top of it, it can lock into place and then you can even change the orientation and it'll stay there. If you were to pick the magnet up, the superconductor uh, would move in a, the same way as you move the magnet. Even if you turn the magnet upside down, the superconductor will stay exactly locked in that same orientation and apparently defying the laws of gravity. It just seems to be, you know, hovering there, not even hovering, just stuck in the yeah, air. It's, it's when you think of hovering, you think of hovering ships from sci-fi where there's a kind of vibration. Yeah. Or there is a, a, a jitteriness, something that looks like a vehicle that's powered. This just looks like it is frozen in the air. It's pretty it's just phenomenal. right there. The first time you see it, like I said, you just think this has got to be some sort of trickery. What sorcery is this? <laughs> and uh, and there are also great examples on YouTube uh, where people have created 
a magnetic track. It's usually like just a, a simple circle that you can lock one of these super cooled superconductors on top of the track, uh, you know, hovering above, well, stuck above it, and then give it a little push. And because there's no real friction apart from air resistance, it'll just go right along that. It'll follow that track perfectly and it'll still maintain its orientation. So if you set it so it was perfectly level, it'll be perfectly level. If you cant it at an angle, it'll remain at that angle all the way around. It's really, really, I mean, it's, it's one of the coolest things I've seen on YouTube in a few years. I really uh, enjoy those videos. So if you're working on hoverboard technology, (laughs) take a look at quantum locking. I think that's where you want to put your money. So yeah, you'd have to have, you'd have to have magnets beneath the floor. Right. And a super cooled hoverboard. <laughs> right. Which, so, so kids, wear, wear your socks. Wear your winter socks. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is where we tell you don't play with liquid nitrogen or have, <laughs> help us. Don't touch liquid helium. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that moves us on to the what I what originally you would think of as probably the least uh, plausible method, just the floating city, just a city that floats on its own. Because you think of Star Wars, there's nothing in uh, that I recall in Empire Strikes Back that shows those cities using propulsion of any sorts to float where they are. They're just they're just there. No, they might as well. uh, Cloud City might as well be a big balloon. And turns out you might actually be able to create something like that. Just probably not here on Earth. Right. Um, I want to talk about the idea of Floating planetary colonies that uh, humans could inhabit because they would be full of Earth atmosphere. So, in other words, when we talked earlier about balloons with Mm -hmm. hydrogen and helium, and the reason those work is because hydrogen and helium are less dense than our atmosphere is. Yeah. And if you get enough of it together, it has lifting power. In this case, the air that we breathe, the mix of, of breathable oxygen that we could survive on is less dense than what you might find on some other planets and would have that same sort of lifting ability. Yeah, this isn't just a might, like maybe out there there's some kind of planet. We could look at the planet Venus. Which happens to be not very far away. No, it's right there. And while most colonization efforts are focused on Mars, there are some people who think Venus might be just as good a place to look. Or better. Yeah. Uh, So the NASA scientist Jeffrey Landis proposed a floating Venus colony. Uh, and this he, He's been talking about this for years. I yeah. read a paper he presented to the AIP in 2003. So this is not a new idea. Um, but he, he's been trying to promote this. So on Venus, the atmosphere is mostly carbon dioxide, CO2. And breathable air is lighter than carbon dioxide. So a colony inside a bubble full of breathable Earth atmosphere, which would be a nitrogen and oxygen mixture, could float at about 50 kilometers above the surface of Venus. And actually, that would be a pretty happy place for humans because pressure there and heat would be totally tolerable. Unlike on the surface of Venus, where <laughs> they would not be. No, on the surface of Venus would be literally like being in a pressure cooker. Yeah, we, we've sent, we've sent, uh, the human beings have sent multiple probes to Venus and most of them don't survive very long. The Soviets put landers down on the yeah. surface of Venus that actually sent a couple of photos back, which if you get a chance to look at them, they are creepy looking. Yeah. They're these, weird yellow kind of hellscapes that are, I don't know, they make it look so cool, but like a place you would not want to go. So the atmosphere is so heavy, it will crush you. And the heat is enough to melt lead at some points on the surface. So, so yeah, being above that 
in a, a place where you would actually have tolerable temperatures and pressures, obviously very important. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't want to fall down, but yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, what Landis himself said uh, in the paper he presented to the AIP was that at about 50 kilometers above Venus, it's the most Earth-like environment other than the Earth itself that you will find in the solar system. That's a quote. Right. The only thing is you wouldn't be able to breathe the air outside, but otherwise it'd be fairly tolerable. Small price to pay. Um, now, of course, it's not like that, oh, okay, well, totally easy. No, this would actually be really difficult and expensive, but it is really interesting that it's it seems quite plausible. Right. It would just be a very expensive undertaking. It would be an engineering project because you'd have to design the bubble such that, one, it, it doesn't leak, obviously. And, right. And the bigger your structure is, I think, the harder it is to design something that doesn't leak. I don't know if you remember um, when we were talking about, is it called Biosphere 2, the the, the controlled, yeah. closed ecosystem yeah. that they tried to create in the United States? Right. But it had a problem with, you know, like with leaking the internal gas mixture. Right. Um, and I think that that had to do with the fact that, well, you're getting big. Once your scale keeps increasing, it's harder and harder to engineer that cre- that perfect kind of airtight system. Right. Also, you have trouble with corrosion because yes. the, <laughs> Venus is surrounded by clouds of sulfuric acid. Which can be a little corrosive. No, if you put a drop of sulfuric acid on, say, like a cotton T-shirt, just watch what happens. <laughs> Kids, don't put sulfuric acid no, no, on your cotton t Don't t-shirts. do that either. Also, don't Always touch liquid nitrogen or liquid Always remember to put sulfuric elite. acid on your warm winter socks before you go glide around on quantum locking hoverboards. <laughs> um, no, it, it'll it'll burn it up. The, the stuff's really, really corrosive. So you, you would need a special kind of material that's resistant to this kind of chemical right. corrosion. And m- maybe something like ceramics could do it. Right. Uh, I, I don't really know, but I think it is doable. Yeah, you would also want to make sure that whatever mater- material you were using wasn't too heavy, because the heavier it is, the more of the, the gas you're going to need to counteract that weight. And of course, some of that is going to be necessary just because that's the stuff we breathe to live. But, you know, you, you also would have to make a larger structure to hold that volume of, of gas without, you know, making it too highly pressured. So. Right. I mean, it would just require... Good engineering in the same way that, say, designing a ship would require good engineering. It needs to displace enough water and be the right shape and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is a certainly uh, a possibility. I don't know how plausible it is in the long run because a lot of attention is still on Mars. Right. Right. And I would say one of the biggest questions is it's not so much whether we could do this because it seems like it is doable. The question is. Is anybody going to pay to do this? I mean, this is obviously going to be hugely expensive. Um, would there be enough research interest in Venus and enough possibility for a return on investment that people would want to go there and spend this much money to build something like this? And the I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe just pure scientific curiosity will win the day in the future. Suddenly, you know, in the next 10 years, everybody will be like, Oh, let's let's spend all our money on learning. Uh, Maybe that or maybe that there is some kind of material resource on Venus that could be exploited to great effect the same way that asteroid mining, while it's definitely going to be a huge investment, offers such a great return. Right. That people are taking it very seriously. It's not just a pie in the sky thing. People are like, all right, let's get let's get going. I think the. uh 
I think the really interesting thing here is that the technology found in Star Wars is the one that, <laughs> that seems like it's the, and of course we have to point out like the Star Wars implementation clearly is not scientifically accurate at all. It wasn't meant to be scientifically accurate. There's, no. It's not a, it's not a slam that, against that, the movie. No, that Star Wars is fantasy. It's like, not hard sci-fi. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, Luke ends up being suspended upside down underneath cloud city for a little while before the millennium Falcon comes around and he can clearly breathe. So yeah. obviously it's not the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, also Beyond Venus, I mean, you could think about there are other places where maybe something like this could take place. I don't, I don't know the specifics, but I'd wonder about Saturn's moon Titan. Mm-hmm. You know, that has a dense atmosphere. Maybe something like this could happen there too. Or it may even be that perhaps when we're looking outside of our own solar system, that's still a possibility. It's one of those interesting things that uh, I'm sure that that eventually we will explore in one way or another. It may. Uh, it, I'm guessing it will probably not be in an implementation that involves actual human beings for the first few times. Uh, I don't know that anyone would want to risk it, you know, that. I also don't know exactly how you would get back from Venus to Earth if you wanted to, to travel back. I mean, you would have to have some sort of platform to launch from that would allow you to uh, to withstand the forces of a rocket taking off and pushing down against that platform. Yeah. Uh, Well, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if you could... Uh take off say suspended by balloon yeah yeah or you could have some sort of hybrid uh aircraft rocket type thing yeah. i guess uh it, you know it, we're talking pure speculation here anyway <laughs> so pie's the pie in the sky type stuff anyway well this was really fun to talk about it was one of those things that you know it was it, we knew we wanted to to eventually chat about hoverboards and that kind of stuff because uh, a lot of people who are into science, I think, also at some point were into science fiction. They may still very well be into science fiction quite a bit. And it's these sort of things that spark our interest that, you know, when we see something that's implemented in real life that mirrors something we saw on film, it's really exciting. So we wanted to definitely, you know, talk about that. But hey, if you know anybody out there claiming a cool anti-gravity technology that we don't know about, we'd be happy to take a look, even though it may very likely uh, be total bunk. <laughs> uh, go ahead and send it to us. So, I mean, we'd love to see it. Yeah, we, we'd we love to see it. Uh, of course, we are not uh, physicists or anything along oh, those no. lines. But we can, we can <laughs> certainly look at something and go, ah, interesting. Uh, yeah, our address is fwthinking at discovery.com. You can also write us if you have any suggestions for future topics that you think we should cover. Or if you have any questions, let us know. And also you can get in touch with us on the social media that we frequent, which include Google+, Twitter, and Facebook. Our handle at all of those is fwthinking. And Joe and I, and probably Lauren too, will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Got menopause? We've got you. Hi, Jackie here, founder of ExoJackie. Feel supported throughout your menopause journey and beyond with our organic protein powders and symptom relief boosts. Formulated to keep bones and muscles strong, ExoJackie products help reduce bloating, hot flashes, and weight gain. Enjoy 20% off with promo code EXOPODCAST. Shop now at exojacqui.com. Made for women by women. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.